Welcome to the Leaders Table podcast, where policy leaders share the inside stories of their impact on the world, and we capture the secrets behind their success to help you increase yours. Education, diversity, and equity, core American issues. What are the things that I should be pushing for to inspire a movement? Let's, let's dig into that. Welcome. I'm your producer, Molly Stevens, and here on the Leaders Table podcast, it's our job to dissect leaders in policy and education to dig into the practices, tools, tips, and actionable strategies of their success to empower you. This episode, we've got a really moving conversation with Maryland State Senator Bill Ferguson on why winning elections is really different than winning in policy. Bill has experience at three levels of education in Baltimore, first in the classroom as a teacher, then in central office, and now as an elected official and director of reform initiatives at the Johns Hopkins University School of Education. From lessons in the heavy lifting and hard work of policy change, to why Baltimore is really the place to be if you want to change the world, to how swimming as meditation is the key to Bill's success, this conversation is truly inspiring. Listen and let us know what you think by emailing us at leaderstable at educationalequity.org. And now here's Bill Ferguson at the Leaders Table. Senator Bill Ferguson, thanks for joining the Leaders Table. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Bill, you've been elected uh, in Maryland to the Senate since 2010, sworn in, uh, sworn in 2011. What makes up the day-to-day of uh, a state senator serving in a dynamic community really close to D.C. and with passion for tackling educational inequity? Uh, well, every day is a new adventure. Um, I, I would say it is the most uh, unpredictable job uh, that I um, could imagine. Um, it's an amazing job, and I love it, and I'm so grateful to um, to be able to serve um, the people of the 46th district every day. But um, it is it is not a typical nine to five, that is for sure. So mm-hmm. um, it, you know, there are probably the biggest dynamic that changes is that we are a part time legislature. So we are full time for 90 days a year. So basically, the second Wednesday of um, January through the um, second Monday of April. Um, so for those days, uh, we're in Annapolis every day. Um, and so I, for the most part, travel back and forth between Baltimore and Annapolis. Um, and days generally start really early uh, and end very late. Um, and the 90-day session sort of has a three-part feel to it. At the very beginning, it's you know, slower. You're getting your bills ready uh, as the uh, second month kind of comes around the second 30 days. It starts to be bill hearings and a lot more um, drama on the floor. And then the last 30 days, just a sprint to the end, and it's, it's more or less um, kind of chaos. So 
uh, I, I start the day every day with a calendar of, of what the day will look like, and uh, it almost never ends up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of those 90 days, I have another full-time job um, with the Hopkins School of Education, uh, but uh, the legislative stuff never really stops. And so mm-hmm. to do it well, you kind of always have to be active and engaged and, and working with communities. And a lot of the projects I have are less about legislation and more about community empowerment. Mm-hmm. And so those aren't you know, sort of quick you know, you sort of finish line and you're done. They are ongoing efforts to really move a community. Mm-hmm. Now you're a former Baltimore high school teacher. How does Correct. how does your your how do your teaching days influence the way that you lead, what you push for, what your agenda is as a senator? I mean, I would say that my my experience in the classroom and then in central office with the Baltimore City Public Schools um, pretty much define who I am and, and why I ran and what I do every day. Um, you know, there's a lot of other issues that I touch just uh, as a being a part of this position. Um, but the work that really energizes me and turns me on is about the, uh, you know, how do we radically change our approach to public education um, in Baltimore City, but, you know, across the state of Maryland. Um, and, you know, where I was a teacher, uh, the vast majority of the, my students when I was a uh, classroom teacher at, at what was Southwestern High School and then a breakout academy of it, um, that's still part of my district. So, um, you know, I still see a lot of my students on a regular basis. Uh, and, you know, their, the, their experiences sort of drive me every day. And, um, you know, when I walk into classrooms in the city, I mean, almost every time I leave a, uh, leave a school in the city, I think to myself, we're not doing enough and we're not doing it fast enough. Um, and tell so, me about your students a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, so I had ninth, 10th and 11th graders. Um, mm. and the school that I taught in was a neighborhood high school, um, which in the city, we sort of have citywide schools and neighborhood schools. And it was a really challenging school. I mean, there were, um, we were in two different buildings, uh, between my teaching career and, um, the first building we were in had uh, about 2,000 students and four academies within it. And, you know, it was genuinely chaos every day. Uh, four principals, four sets of rules, a, a building not set up for four different academies. Um, it was very difficult to get to. So it was up right next to, uh, on this big hill next to a cemetery. And the transportation was awful. The building was a, a mess. Um, and then we moved into a a better building, still not great, but um, better, uh, and that definitely improved things. But you know, the uh, what was remarkable to me was was just the number of challenges that my students had to overcome just to get to school every day. Um, it, it just was mind blowing to me. Uh, you know, it's probably you know it's pretty naive or it's pretty evidence of kind of the privilege that I've had growing up. That um, it was just it was it was surreal how how much of a challenge it was just to get to school. And then the, the, what we offered students. And when I say we, I mean, Baltimore city was just so far below any standard that any of us should be feel as acceptable. Um, but students came every day. And so their resilience and, and sort of the, their ability to fight through these challenges and, and, you know, do the things that we ask them to do to be successful um, you know, that's, that's what was the biggest takeaway for me. It's just their ability to, to, um, plow through problems that 
would be incapacitating to me. You know, it's rare that a policymaker would have experienced the educational system at three different levels, right? From being in a classroom, managing kids, implementing policies that you're not a part of developing, and on to central office, helping a district to to meet its mandate, and then on into a legislature to try to give guidance informed by those experiences. What are the what are the how how have those three different experiences changed or influenced the way that you drive an agenda today in the legislature? Um, so that's a I have a, an easy answer for that one, and it's that I have become incredibly passionate passionate about the power of implementation. Um, there are wonderful policy ideas out there, um, but and so often we sort of get attracted by the next great policy or the next great idea. And, and that's wonderful and fine, and we should be always challenging sort of what we think is, is the right way to go. Uh, but we, we do not focus enough on implementation and how implementation influences the actual policy. Um, you know, seeing it in the classroom versus uh, central office and now at a state level, you know, at, a, at a state level, sort of at the policymaking level, we so rarely talk about the implementation side, and that is what matters. You know, if it doesn't if it doesn't translate into a classroom, it it really doesn't matter. It's just kind of adults talking in a different room. Um, and I think, I, you know, I've seen a lot of great ideas really stumble and fail because there was not a lot of thought in the importance of implementation and rollout and tracking and evaluating and figuring out how to tinker along the way, um, you know, it sort of was seen as like, oh, we passed this policy, big win, and on to the next thing. And so that ends up sort of hurting the effort overall. Mm. What is, what are you proudest of, of your, of, of all the roles that you've, that you've served in thus far? So professionally, mm-hmm. you mean, um, Gosh, there's, you know, I, I feel really grateful for this position because um, there's a lot of things that I think I've had the opportunity to be a part of. Um, probably the biggest, the one that I will sort of always feel like I, I got to be a part of that was our effort um, in 2013, but it was really a three-year effort uh, to create what we call the 21st Century School Facilities Initiative uh, in Baltimore City. So when I was teaching, I always used to sort of tell the story that my classroom door didn't have a doorknob and I had to carry around these pair of scissors and literally had to break in and out of my classroom door to let kids in and out. Um, which to me was sort of this fundamental symbol of this broken system that how could this be possible in the richest state in the richest country in the world? Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the power of facilities to show kids what we believe about them, uh, is really meaningful to me. And I think it, it really matters. The uh, Baltimore City Public Schools have some of the oldest schools uh, in the state or the oldest schools in the state by an average of about 20 years. And after organizing with a lot of amazing educators, parents, teachers, um, we were able to pass a, uh, an initiative um, in, in 2013 that set up a billion-dollar fund to build 25 to 28 brand-new school buildings over the next uh, – well, from – 10 years and, until uh, 2023. And so That's this amazing. summer, those uh, two of those buildings will be in um, one of the neighborhoods that I represent that uh, it'll be, they'll be starting construction this summer and it'll be about 18 months. And, you know, it's a major 
generational investment in young people in Baltimore. Um, yeah. So something I'm really proud of. Amazing. I say pretty regularly, I survived the New York City public schools and um, those those stories about infrastructure are on them. They're like emblazoned in the experience of every kid who's gone to, gone to school in a district that was, um, let's say, whose facilities are just not up to snuff. Um, yeah, it I mean, absolutely affects everything. It, it just, I, I mean, kids get it, right? I mean, kids kids are kids and they know what they, what people think of them. Uh, and we show them all the time what we think of them. And when we show them buildings that, um, you know, are substandard and, and are, are not reflective of the values that we talk about, um, they get it. And so I think, you know, it's just one of these fundamental basic conditions that, um, of course, what happens inside the building is as important, if not more important, but there's something about just having a, 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 a good, joyful space that um, is safe and uh, conducive to learning that sets the tone for whatever happens from that point forward. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about leadership um, as a legislature legislator that you that has surprised you? Huh. Um, that's an interesting question. I, this work is a lot harder than I ever imagined. Um, and I knew it would be hard, but, you know, on a campaign and, and when people run for office, I think, you know, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a, a point certain where you know whether you've won or lost. And so it's easy to galvanize folks around, you know, this election, we have these values, we are organized, we're going to, you know, get this number of votes. Um, and then you get into office and the work shifts dramatically. And it's much, much, much more about relationships and interest alignment and building coalitions. And these things take a lot of time. And I think that um, a lot of folks sort of want immediate results, but to, to do this job well, it takes strong relationships, which takes time and trust. And so uh, that is something for me that as I sort of approach the work now, six years, seven years into it, um, I, I'm very mindful of who else needs to be in a room when we are having a conversation about something so that we can, you know, ensure that our interests are all aligned. And if they're not, have a conversation to figure out what is the way to mitigate that. Um, so, you know, I think that real leadership sees is, happens when individuals see value in everybody. And so even in the opposition, there is some point of, uh, there's some, some nugget of value that has to be incorporated for a, for a large policy initiative to work well. Um, just sort of this, if you have the votes, get it done. I, I think that is a temporary solution. And for the change that I think a lot of us that have this shared experience in the classroom are looking for, we need sustainable long-term transformational change. That's not a quick fix. And so we have to do the heavy lifting and hard work that it takes to to move the ball in the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, when the the nation looks to Baltimore um, over the last couple of years, Baltimore's attracted lots and lots of attention for being a center of Black Lives Matter uh, protest of kind of um, broader social justice movements and activity. There's just, there is a lot of reasons to, to look at Bal- look toward Baltimore and its activists. You, you mentioned community empowerment earlier, and I wonder how you, how you 
how you empower the community that you represent with integrity, with respect, and with with a sense of of your values and and a a respect for theirs as well. That's a great question. Um, so before I before I forget, as you were asking the question, I thought of something that I you know what's happening in Baltimore. I think is um, is a case study in where cities and regions will have to go uh, if we're really going to create a, a new set of opportunities for all people. Um, you know, if anybody's listening to this podcast and is looking or trying to think through how they can change the world, let me tell you, come to Baltimore City because we will find a place for you to change the world because the action is happening in our city. Um, you know, it's an unbelievably challenging environment that is uh, the product of, you know, honestly, hundreds of years of intentional policy decisions that have culminated in a very both racially and economically segregated city um, that's trying to figure out its way forward. A post-industrial city that's lost sort of its manufacturing base that, you know, we, when we were a city of a million people 40 years ago, uh, we're down to 620,000. So we were built out to a million people and are down about 380,000 people. Um, but we have all these amazing assets and we have all these amazing people across the city that are working tirelessly every, every day to figure out how we can move forward. And, um, you know, issues of race and class and inequity are, are right on the surface everywhere you look. And, um, so it is just incredibly ripe and real, uh, in Baltimore in a way that I don't think, um, a lot of other cities necessarily have that, um, that, uh, I don't know, that immediacy. I think the world saw us at our worst, you know, with, um, with the unrest that happened with Freddie Gray, you know, frankly, there was a part of me that when it was all happening, I, I was thinking in my head, how did this not happen sooner? Because I understand the frustrations on all sides. And I think, you know, we have some real unbelievable challenges. And I think that's an opportunity to kind of redefine ourselves for the future. And so um, I try to look around and find, find the positive that exists across our communities. Um, I think we have just truly amazing assets and people that are ready to change the world. Um, and so, you know, I always find myself thinking I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Like we've got to move faster here. Um, but you know, it's, it, it, it really is just, you know, not letting the negativity, um, detract from the long-term vision of, of what I know is possible in our city. Mm -hmm. How do you, I just, uh, one, one more question about this. I'm wondering how do you, how do you navigate the waters of social justice and education reform? Uh, again, in a city like Baltimore, it just seems like those issues are so, um, intertwined. What is that? How does that translate to you on a, on a daily or weekly basis? Well, uh, you know, I, I think I'm still learning, right. And I think hopefully I'm always still learning. Um, I don't have an answer in any way. I think I've grown on sort of what I believe and what I think is most important. Um, when you look at a city like Baltimore, I think that the concentrated generational poverty and not just poverty, like three, you know, sort of 185% of free and reduced lunch meals, we're talking extreme poverty. One in five students in Baltimore is in extreme poverty, which means 50% or below the federal poverty line. Um, and it is, it, and 
our poverty is highly, highly, highly concentrated. And so, you know, the, the issues that affect our city schools are also incredibly tangible in, in the neighborhoods themselves and the access to transit and, and jobs and, and health care and, you know, fair civil rights. It, you know, it's, it, they, the school is a microcosm of the broader symptom. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the, the, not the broader, it's a, it's a symptom of the broader problem. Mm-hmm. So I think that knowing that it has taken many, many, many years to get to this place, I think I don't, I don't have an unrealistic expectation that we're going to change the world tomorrow. It's, it's about celebrating progress along the way. Um, and so much of this work is about empowering the communities themselves. It's not something I will bring. It's what communities are, are advocating for on their own. And I sort of get the opportunity to be a, a vehicle of their, um, of their vision of what's a better future. Uh, and so, you know, I find myself rejuvenated by the folks that know how bad things have been, um, have been beaten down by the system, and yet are working and pulling folks out to come out to rally for, you know, this issue or that, or, you know, coming to the community meetings till 10 o'clock at night to talk about in a community benefits agreement. You know, there's that, that's sort of what, what gives me energy. And, you know, if I just kind of, focus on that, it, I think that's what ultimately, um, that's the only way we're, gonna, we're ever going to be able to move forward is, is by sort of em, empowering the communities themselves, not necessarily bringing something to or for the community. And what do you, how do you advise people that come to you and say, hey, you know, Senator, I want to be you. I, I, I want to be elected. I want to be, re- I want to represent a community in the way that you, that you are. The first thing I always say is be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because, and, you know, I joke, I, I love this job. It is an amazing, amazing, amazing job. And um, I'm so grateful that, that I get to do it every day. Um, but I think it's, it's honest that if I, if I knew what I knew today, making the decision to run in 2010 would have been a lot harder. Um, the work is really tough. There are a lot of... Um, you know, there are a lot of opinions out there and, you know, having a, a, a strong sense of what one's core values are, are essential because, um, you know, the, the, especially in this environment, like the, the political environment is just very, very toxic at the moment. I believe that it's sort of part of a pendulum and will swing back in time. Um, but this is, this is not work for somebody that's in it for an ego trip or, for, um, you know, just sort of the accolades, if that's, if that's a reason that somebody's interested, don't do it, um, because it's too important and it's too hard to have that be the driving focus. Um, what I also say is before you tell me that you're going to run for an, for office, tell me what campaign you've worked on so that you know what it actually looks like and feels like to be with a candidate and understand how to organize a community how to get stand on somebody's door knock, yeah, on somebody's doorstep and ask for their vote. Um, I just think that a lot of people like the idea of being in elected office without necessarily having the the experience of of seeing what that day to day looks like, and you've got to really, really want it um, to do it well.
What's the what's the your favorite or most teaching mistake or failure that uh, that you've experienced? Uh, discounting other people's views because you think that they have different um, perspectives than you do. Um, I've come to realize that even in the most challenging situations, uh, op, uh, there is something to be learned from opposing views, um, and I think. Especially now, I think we discount the value of others' opinions because they may not align with our perspectives. Uh, and I've just really come to understand that, you know, no doesn't mean no. It means not yet or I need more information. And so if you can figure out what drives somebody or, or what interests move somebody to act, there's a way to get there. Um, and so if you just discount that opposition and discount that view, um, you're giving up on potential uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, as someone who's managing two full-time jobs, um, as well as a, a slew of personal commitments, I'd be curious if you could walk us through your day from about the start of your, your day. Say you wake up on a day when, uh, when the legislature is in session, so you, you need to get over to Annapolis. How does that, how does that work? What, what, is, what are the first four or five hours of your day look like? Um, so if it's a Monday or a Friday, um, it starts with walking our son to school. So we have a four-year-old and two-year-old, and our um, four-year-old goes to pre-K uh, at the sort of public school down the street. Um, and so, uh, well, it doesn't start with walking. I guess it, it starts with getting them ready to go to school. Um, and uh, so mornings tend to be early uh, and, you know, try to – I because it's that's like a special time for me i often am coming home after they're asleep so i sort of only have the mornings and that walk to school to really kind of engage other than on the weekends and so i try to maximize that um so i take care of the school um and then i will generally uh go to the gym and i'm i grew up as a swimmer so i will swim in the mornings um and then drive down to annapolis which is about Oh, on a good day, 40 minutes on a bad day, an hour and a half. Sort of depends on traffic. And, and that's when I use time to make calls. So that is my dedicated call time, um, both to and from uh, Annapolis. And, um, and then I get to Annapolis and, and it just becomes, the chaos begins. Um, so today I'm, I'm chairing a new committee where um, I was just uh, appointed to be the chair of the executive nominations committee. So all of the governor's appointment, appointments have to be um, confirmed by this particular committee. And so I've got, uh, 35 people up tonight. Um, and so I'll be kind of just studying their backgrounds and we've been doing some research on some folks that we want to ask some questions to. And, um, I'm sure I have some meetings in this, this afternoon, uh, back to back for a while, but, uh, it really changes every day. I mean, the morning is probably the, the most regular, um, in that it, it starts the same way, but, um, once I get to Annapolis, it just you know you never know. Mm-hmm. Are there is there a morning ritual or a um, piece of technology that that you just rely on and that you've come to to see as the thing or the group of things that helps you to keep it all together? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's swimming in the morning that makes the big difference. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of like my. I know some people meditate. I think that's sort of my sort of personal meditations, like my moment in my own head, no technology, no nothing for, you know, 25 minutes just to think about the day and think about what's 
what's upcoming and, um, you know, if, if I'm bothered by something, I can sort of swim it out. Um, right. uh, Technology-wise, I've sort of given my life over to Google um, and I've just become okay with that. Uh, <laughs> so everything I have is connected in some way to Google um, and every app that Google makes is probably incorporated into my daily routine somehow. Um, so, I, you know... <laughs> I'm sure it's probably not the best thing privacy-wise, but uh, that's another <laughs> thing about elected office is you got to kind of give up on that too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what uh, what advice would you give to your 23-year-old self? Oh God, um, what advice would I give to my 23-year-old self? Um, keep an open mind. Um, be focus on being really good at what you're doing today. Um, you know, I think a lot of people worry about what their path will be and what they have to do for this, for that to happen, and then that thing to happen. Um, I'm a big believer, or at least have become a big believer. And, you know, if you work really hard at what you are doing uh, every day, opportunities come. Um, you know, I never would have expected to be in this position. Uh, it's never really the path I ever expected. But as I worked hard where I was, things you know, opportunities uh, came about, and I just tried to kind of move from one to the next and focus on doing a really good job there. Excellent. Senator Ferguson, I sincerely appreciate the time with you today and uh, and your generosity of, of wisdom, insight, and just taking the time to, to, uh, to share so much with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I would just say for the folks that are, out, that are, that are listening, you know, now it, this is a really consequential moment for for not only um, our cities and states, but I think nationally, this is a, a moment of consequence. Uh, and now is the time to dig in. This is, this is the moment to say, um, I'm here to change the world. What can I do? Um, so I think all of us have a very important role to play and um, glad to help anybody that's interested in figuring out what their role may be. Excellent. Thank you so much for your leadership. Absolutely. We'll talk Thank with you. you again soon. Sounds great. Take care. Like this interview? Follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also visit www.educationalequity.org slash leaders table for more resources to grow your impact. Tweet us your questions for future interviews at Lee underscore national. Thanks so much. Your host at the leaders table is Jason Urenz. I am your producer, Molly Stevens. And thanks to John Stevens for our music and editing. 